Welcome to the Expository Word Podcast, featuring classic messages from Kimber Kaufman. Today, Kimber continues teaching through the book of Samuel, and our hope is that you will be challenged and encouraged by listening in. Unfortunately, today's original recording was missing some content. We apologize that everything could not be recovered. Let's turn now to Kimber. Right there in this text. Then we must remember how the Lord looks. And I will tell you, this is so very important. I think, um, and, and I'll review in a way that I haven't said so far today, I think that one of the problems with denominational Christianity, one of the things that can so easily go bad, and I am thankful, and I think the Lord is alive and working well um, in denominational churches, and I'm not saying that, it's, that it's, it's doomsday or anything like some people would, but I do want you to know this. One of the things is we tend to think our group is it and God's not working anywhere else. Or unless you're doing the things that we're doing and voting the way we're voting and in charge of the, of the anti-things that we're anti or the pro-things that we're pro, unless you're doing those things, you really aren't there with the Lord. And we've got to remember, we don't understand everybody's heart. And the Christian needs to be gracious and understanding in the sense that, that the Lord looks at our heart and what we can be doing a lot of good things on the outside and our heart can be very far from God on the inside. And um, I, I would hope that there would be um, that sense in a growing way in our lives. The third thing I want us to see, and we'll go into the text now, is he's the Lord of the unexpected. Go to chapter 16 and verse 1 with me again, would you? The scripture says, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul? I've rejected him as king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem, I have chosen one of his sons to be king. Now, I, I, I want you to remember the, the, the shocking news that we heard this morning, and that is the next king of Israel is going to come from Bethlehem. Very much a messianic type idea that I think is the way you start picking up on how Jesus is the Messiah uh, in the New Testament, one of the ways. Now, with that, look at how it's even clearer. Go to verse 11, and I want you to notice something in verse 11. Um, the Lord has told Samuel he has not chosen all of these different ones, so he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Well, they're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is the one tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not send down until he arrives. Something else that you must see here, friends, is this. Where was Jesus born? Bethlehem. Where in Bethlehem? In a manger. What's a manger? A trough for animals. And I think there's something that's striking to us here as we see in verse 11, this. He asks his sons, are there any more? Oh yes, there's just the youngest, the most insignificant, the youngest. He certainly wouldn't be the one. And notice what he's doing. He's tending the sheep. Now please please note that because he's the Lord of the unexpected. Dale Ralph Davis makes this comment about his future descendants. Perhaps at no time did the living God disclose a more flabbergasting choice then in the case of David's greater descendant, the vote was in. The folks at home had said, he's just one of us. Remember, they said, isn't he the carpenter's son? And others complained, he has too much fun. Don't you remember? He said, John the Baptist neither ate or drank, but the Son of Man comes eating and drinking. And they couldn't accept him because of that. And uh, he's not from the right place. They say he's from Galilee and John. And that can't be from the right place. And the clincher was, Messiahs don't suffer. But remember this, the stone which the builders rejected has become the head of the corner. What should we deduce from that? We should realize that God made His choice and we should relish in it. There is a delight we should have over Yahweh's unusual, unguessable ways. It honors Him when we revel in His surprises. 
Who would have ever believed the next king was going to be some 15, 16 year old boy out tending some sheep on the hillside in obscure Bethlehem? And yet, sure enough, that's where he's going to come from. And when we say he's the Lord of the unexpected, how this should bring hope to people who are discouraged or depressed with your circumstances in life. Now, the reason that I say that to you is all throughout the book of Judges and all throughout 1 Samuel, when the times get dark and when it seems as if there is no hope, suddenly God does something that's unexpected and it seems to always come about in a way that we would never think of. Now, this is true if you remember all through the books. Think of the fantastic deliverances through all of the Judges. Think of what he did throughout uh, here in the book of 1 Samuel as he would deliver by an earthquake or he would deliver by some unusual circumstance. And the thing we've got to remember is he is the God of the unexpected. I never want us to have God in a box. We make him nice and comfortable. He always just does whatever we expect and he's just there to bless us and and life is easy. There should be a, a, a holy anticipation that God can do things in our life that we could never even begin to expect. And, and the world may not understand that. The scripture says this is the Lord's doing and it's marvelous in our eyes. And there, as I want you to think of Samuel. Those of you that are grieving for certain ones, Samuel, there he is at home in Ramah grieving for 10 to 15 years. Grieving over Saul's heart turning away from God and God rejecting Saul. And then finally, after 10 or 15 years, here comes one of the greatest kings that's ever walked on the face of this earth by the name of David as a little boy on the scene possibly just being born the time that Saul was rejected. Uh, That's something for you to consider. He's the God of the unexpected. A fourth point by way of application that I want you to get, and this is a great one. This is the one to encourage you right now. You can take this with you and start practicing it tonight in your Christian life. Are you ready? What, What it may mean to live by faith. Now watch. You go, and when you get there, I'll show you the next step. Let's again read verse 1, and let's take it this time down through verse 3. Watch what happens. In chapter 16, verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil, and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? Saul will hear about it and kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Now something struck me as I was studying this. He says to Samuel, you just go do what I said and I'll show you the next step. Now that is so fascinating to me because twice before he said the same thing to Saul. Two other times in this text, God says through Samuel to Saul, Saul, you just go, you do what I say, and I'll take take you to the next step. Now I thought... This really is a tremendous lesson on faith. Now, let me just read you a verse. Stay right where you are, and I'll just read it to you. I want to read you a verse about living by faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Listen to this. In chapter 11, in verse 8, the Scripture says, By faith, Abraham, when when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Did you hear that? I think one of the principles of living by faith is this. God says, go. God gives you an opportunity to serve. God presents you in some circumstance. And you may not understand all that you're supposed to do, but in the, in the step of living by faith, like Abraham, not knowing where you're going, you go. And as a result, God will show you the next step. I remember years ago hearing Warren Wiersbe said, God never takes a Christian from something. He always moves a Christian to something. 
And I think that is so great in this principle of living by faith when you consider local ministries, when you can think of witnessing to your neighbor, when you think of obedience in some area of your life that may be tough. I want you to remember this. You don't have to have every scenario laid out before you for you to understand every little thing about it. Can I tell you, we live in a day of age in which science has so taken over the church that unless we can just explain everything we're going to do, tell us how the retirement plan is going to work so we know we're going to be taken care of in our old age, we're not going to do anything for God. And one of the things I want you to remember is this. You just go and God will take care of you. I believe, and I say this to you carefully, and some of you know the story, I don't want to bore you with an old Kim Coffin story, but I'll, I will anyway. And that is, the, the first day on my job, they said, we'll pay you 125 a week and, 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 the, and give you the parsonage to live in. And I spoke the morning service and I saw a little group meeting. There was only 15 or 20 people in the church. And I saw a little group meeting and I wondered what it was. They're sort of looking at me like this and then go back and they talk some more. And I thought, I just accepted this church. I, I, maybe I should go find out what that is. I'm the pastor. You know, I'm the pastor supposed to know something, I guess. And, and they came and they said, Pastor Coffin, we can only pay you $100 a week. That was if you were married. So um, I said, okay. Spoke the evening service. Same thing happened. I saw that little group meeting. I sort of got a sick feeling in my stomach after the evening service. And there they were over there meeting. And they're saying, and they're looking over at me again, and they're talking, and they're, and they're Pastor Calvin, our average income last year was only $107 a week. We can only pay you $80 a week. We've got to pay the Sunday school bill and the light bill. And, and, and can I tell you, by God's grace, I say this, because most of the illustrations I use are real negative about myself, but I will tell you this. Do you know that it didn't even phase me? you know why? Because I believe God called me there. It didn't even have the slightest faith. I, 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 do, I have told you in the past, I was just glad there wasn't one more service that day. I told you that. But it, it didn't even phase me. And one of the things that we need to remember, friends, is this. God has called us, and listen to this verse. Now just let it sink into you a second. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And don't try to figure out every little detail. That was my part. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He most certainly will straighten out your paths. Your job is to be like David, faithfully tending the sheep. Your job is to be like Samuel going and saying, I don't understand this, Saul could kill me, but I'm going to go anyway. And God's going to take care of us. And I'll tell you, friends, we need to count the cost of what it means to live by faith. And I hope you see it there. You just go, and when you get there, I'll tell you what you're going to do. Okay? Now, notice this next one. Notice how this one sets up on top of that one. Principle number five from this passage, from verses 11 through 13, is this. When you do go, God will faithfully equip you for the work He has called you to do. Go down to verse 11 with me and look what it says. In verse 11... The scripture says, after all of the sons, oh, for seven, he gets all seven sons get rejected. And he says, so we asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Well, they're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. And Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was ruddy, fair, complected, fine appearance, handsome features. And the Lord said, rise and anoint him. He is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power, and Samuel then went to Ramah. I want you to think of what it was like. This absolutely, sometimes we get so, we get so mechanical of reading the Bible stories that we never put ourselves into and realize what it must have been like to be a 15 or 16 year old boy who was seeking God on the hillside, guarding the sheep one day, and with a friend who got killed in the last there, and other bits of things, and they get called in one day, and there is Samuel. Famous Samuel. Is there? It, it was a, the elders of town were trembling, and to think that you're a 15 or 16 year old boy out on the hillside, and you're getting called in to meet Samuel for some kind of special anointing that you don't even understand what it is, and you're going in to meet him, the, the, the man himself, Samuel. This had to be a, a scary situation, and not only that, when they get the word that your older brothers have all been passed over, and that you were the one who was going to get this special anointing, 
thing that you have to remember is this, friends. When God calls you to do a work, He is faithful to equip you to do it. And just as with Saul, I want you to know this. In your Christian walk, in your trials and your difficulties, in the problems that you face, in your interpersonal relationships, in the ministries that you attempt to do, if He calls you, He will not only go with you, but He will also enable you. The wonderful promise that the Spirit of God comes down to empower David in a very special way, as you see there in verse 13. And I, I want you to get one little tidbit of thing that you may not have seen unless you've been studying this passage. Go back to verse 1 and look at something with me. In verse 1, the Scripture says this, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil. Now everybody, you see that? Now go to verse 13 and look at it again. It says, so Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came. Do you know this means a whole lot more to them than it does to us? For Samuel to take the horn of oil, that means he's going on a special mission commissioned by the God of the covenant for the best of his people of the covenant. And he's going to go do something special. And when, when Samuel anointed David with the oil, it was God saying literally this, God is making a promise that I am obligated to help you all the days of your life. You hear that? I am obligated to help you all the days of your life. And I'll tell you, friends, the oil that we're talking about in the New Testament is the oil of the Holy Spirit given to us as believers. And I want you to remember something. God has made a promise to His people under the New Covenant that He is obligated to help you all the days of your life. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He that begins the good work will continue to do it. And you ought to rejoice in this fact that instead of fearful, oh, what can I do? I'm so nothing. I can never do anything for the Lord. No, He is faithful to equip you for the work that He has done. Many times, I must give you this testimony, many times I have been driving out to someone's house under a tremendously tragic phone call that I have gotten. And I don't even know what I'm going to say. I'm scared to death. I'm going to go sit in some person's home and they're, they're devastated by some news or some, some terrible thing is happening. And so I'm going out there. Sometimes it's 10 o'clock. Sometimes it's the middle of the night. Sometimes it's the middle of the day. I don't, I don't know. But I've often had this sense. Oh, I've been, I, I've been so weak. I thought, what am I going to say? What am I going to do? This situation is so terrible. I don't have to. I'm supposed to know. And I hear so weak. And they don't have to know. What am I going to do? And can I tell you, time after time after time after time, That wasn't that bad. I wonder how did that happened. And it was the fact that God is still faithful to work in our lives and to work in your life too. Key principle number six. This is a good one. Look at this. The Spirit of God comes on David and he is catapulted into endless trouble. Look at verse 13 again. Look what it says. Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Now friends, think about this. People have got the strangest ideas about the Old Testament. Oh, that's the Old Testament now, Kim. It's on there. Come on now. It's not true. And, 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 and now the Spirit of God was different than it is now. And they, people make all these kind of comments. But I want to just say that it is so interesting in both the Old and the New Testament that the Spirit of God comes into a situation and immediately trouble breaks forth in that situation. Now, you would think if you watch Channel 40 Christianity that it's just the opposite. 
that all of your troubles are there because you don't have the Spirit, and once the Spirit of God comes, that all of your troubles disappear. Isn't that basically the teaching that you hear on Christian television? And I want you to know that that's wrong. I want you to know that right here, David has the Spirit of God, and you think a 15 or 16-year-old boy just been anointed king and is going to become king in Israel, and I want you to know for the next several years of his life, you're going to see it. It's one day of trouble after another. Now you say, Kim, that's Old Testament. Could you please, if you're going to speak about the Holy Spirit's work, give us something from the New Testament. All right, I will. The book of Acts, the day of Pentecost. The, the, the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost and, and everyone's speaking in tongues and it's a wonderful day of tremendous rich blessing and fellowship with God. And what happens right after that? Great persecution. That's right. Thanks for preaching this sermon with me, pal. I appreciate it. But that's right. Great persecution comes on right away. Great persecution comes into the church. And the things, listen to what one man says. No sooner does the Spirit touch David than he is catapulted into endless trouble. The envy, anger, and plots of Saul from chapter 18 on, you're going to see those in the future. David, the man with the Spirit, will be hunted and betrayed, trapped and escaping, hiding in caves, living in exile, driven to the edge right to the end. Now, is this any different than the Apostle Paul? Did he have the Spirit of God? He certainly did. And when you see the Spirit of God upon the Apostle Paul, what do you see? Day and night spent in the deep shipwrecked five times received 40 lashes save one on and on and on he goes starvation and days in jail and all kinds of trouble and i just want to get it out of your mind friends because the tempter will come along and say god doesn't love you god isn't using you and i want you to know that when the spirit of god comes to work in your life often it means he sends you into situations to make you so weak that you must know what the fellowship of sufferings are and to make you so weak that you must know more about what the work of the Holy Spirit is. In fact, it is in the book of Acts again, listen now, in the book of Acts again, which says, we know that we must go through many hardships and then enter the kingdom of God. I, an old story I've used many times, and I, I still love it, is the old Chuck Swindoll story. When Chuck Swindoll is speaking at the seminary, and all the guys are just sitting on every word, and, and everywhere he goes, the guys are walking out to his car, and, 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 there's, and you appreciate that in seminary students and, and college students that are studying for the ministry. There's such a hunger and an awe and respect for people like Chuck Swindoll. And one day he was sitting around at the dorms talking to about 50 of the guys, and the one guy said at the end of a long week, when he's got all this, these people saying nice things about him, the, the guy said, oh, Dr. Swindoll, I would be, give anything to be like you. I would give anything to everywhere you go and you speak, people are blessed and your books are a blessing and you go all over the world speaking, oh, it's such a wonderful, oh, your church is so great and your books are so great. And it's one of the goes, would you just stop it? He goes, young man, look at me. If you only knew what the Spirit of God had to take me through to get me into a position where he could use me for his glory, I doubt, son, if you'd be willing to pay the price. I just want you to know that the work of the Holy Spirit in our God that we learn. And remember, why is the Old Testament written now? Why was it written? To give you hope and endurance. And can I tell you, have you been plummeted into some great sorrow? Have you been given... It is not a sign that God has left you. It's a sign that God loves you. It's the same to the saints all through the ages. And this idea that the Spirit of God is going to come and you're just going to dance through life and wave your arms and never have a problem. You've got all of heaven not to have problems. You're going to have problems now. And now's our time to trust the Lord and draw near Him through our trouble. Well, I tell you, I need to hear that very point myself. And the seventh one is this. Dark times for God's people come just before the Lord pours out His greatest and brightest blessings. And I want you to remember, friends, that the Bible says, weeping endures for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And I want you to see that Samuel mourning and grieving for all of these years, and suddenly what happens is God brings upon a man that's going to lead Israel to some of the greatest days of victory as we're about to see in the next chapter. And I want you to keep that in mind. 
the last one is I'm not gonna I'm not gonna talk about that last point. I I um I was gonna say something about it and I'm not going to. Um, but I will say this. There is one thing I'd like you to all consider. <clears throat> if the work of the Spirit of God is active in our church, and if He's going to be active in our lives, then you know one thing we need to do? <clears throat> Not write anybody off. Can I tell you? Psychology labels people, oh, you're a such and such, such and such. And you hear about type A, type B personalities. I hear that all the time. Oh, you're classic this. And then, and then you hear about, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong. I'm not saying there's anything necessarily wrong with that. I think there's some human observation wisdom that comes with some of that. Then you hear about, are you sanguine, phlegmatic? You remember that? You hear all those things? Well, that's fine. But I want you to know that, you know, let's don't be so low in our thinking as to ever put anybody in a place to where that's where they're going to be. If the Spirit of God, and that's, I guess, one of the things I'm going to say about my last point is the work of the Holy Spirit. If the Spirit of God is active in our fellowship and speaking to people, and I hear constantly about Christians changing and growing, and through teaching in Sunday school and through teaching in services and all different things, and I'm so glad, and I hear about people coming to Christ and growing. If He's active, can I tell you something? Let's don't ever write anybody off. Progressive sanctification won't allow for that. Repentance can change a person quickly. And the Lord is faithful to work in our lives. And one of the things that, that we need to remember is we want to be a growing, changing people. And we want to constantly be learning new lessons and learning more. And one of the things that I would say is let's don't say that's the way they are. Let's be so careful. I am so concerned about sarcasm. I am so concerned about judging people and putting them in a hole and making them stay there. Do you know what has happened a lot of times? Here's what the Lord will do. It's, it's the great reversal. He's done it in my life. I've judged somebody. I've put them in a hole. And I said, that's the way they are. Well, I can go on with my life, you know, and they're, they're over there. And I know that's sort of where they are. Only to find that God has changed that person. And that person has gone way ahead of me. And here I am thinking that, that I, have, I, I am so superior or something. When in fact, you can't judge people if the Spirit of God is at work. Do you want the, the same judgment to come upon your life as you put on someone else's life? Now you may say, Kim, where are you getting this? This is not coming from the First Samuel 16, necessarily. All right, This is just a burden of mishmash that I want to, um, to, to, to share with you uh, on, the, on this last point. Uh, just because it is a, it's a terrible thing to be labeled and to be put in one spot and say, that's the way that person is. Let's don't do that. Let's don't do that. Let's uh, be gracious in our judgments and our evaluations of others. All right? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven... There's much for us to learn. Particularly, I am thankful for this point about going, and when we go, you'll give us the next step. I pray you would use that in people's lives. I know there's men here that you're working in their life for them to consider the call to ministry. I know, Father, that there are um, uh, singles here in which you're doing the same thing. And, and our, it's our desire that you would um, keep us sensitive to learning about living our lives from the great text of the Old Testament to give us hope and perseverance, instruction and correction. We are thankful that we have your word to meditate on and to spend time dwelling in it. And I pray that you would use this both morning and evening for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll take 10 minutes for, not at the very most, 10 minutes for QA. And that concludes today's expository word. Please join us again for more classic messages from Kimber Kaufman. Take care.